Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the man of war of extreme metal podcasts. Once again, for the fourth season, I am the death metal guy, aka John Nodefight, joining the MCU. And I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. two-factor authentication is designed to annoy you because it's not about security. It's about pushing us into biometrics. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's, that's a pretty good schizo take. I like that. Right, thank you. It's, mm. um, I mean, how, long, how much longer can this madness go on? You, you know, your phone, your, your phone goes dead and then you need to get a new phone. And so you, you need, but unfortunately you need two factor authentication in order to activate your new phone. But because your new phone is not activated, you can't get the two factor. You see what I mean? Oh, if my phone ever breaks, just whatever that location is, I just live there now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You that's, have to. Um, that's my system. I'm embracing the entropy of the situation. I'm becoming a yeah, modern I, Diogenes. <laughs> it's 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 um it's it you know we've all got to go back to um we've all got to get dumb phones like the Eritrean goat herds who are you know they have a hard life but at least they're off the grid. <laughs> yeah, like you know these uh, Mongolian steps nomads that only had access to, only had know, access to Boost them. Mobile. You know? Did you know Genghis Khan coordinated the entire invasion of Europe with only access to Boost Mobile? <laughs> he was playing Snake the whole time yeah. on the little one-bit yeah. screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Mm. Season fucking four, first episode of 2023. Here we are once again. Uh, myself and the black metal guy had a uh, a decently long and uh, pretty productive break after the holidays. But the siren saw siren saw the sirens call of extreme metal podcasting is once again called to us. So we are we are we are back back to the task at hand. Um, today's format is going to be a little bit different from usual. Uh, we usually do a little bit of roundup at the beginning of the year, but in this case, there was actually a surplus of material from 22 that we weren't able to get to just because of some really dense scheduling that happened, especially in the last few months of the year. Um, so we are going to be doing a fairly rapid fire series of reviews on six different records today, uh, kind of divided up between me and the black metal guy of just stuff that we were interested in, uh, especially from our uh, respective sides of the musical fence and uh, wanted to bring to you and wanted to discuss. Uh, we've got a few different kind of uh, themes going on. You know, we've got some uh, down-home Texas death metal. We've got some funeral doom, and we've got some listener submission stuff. Um, so uh, hopefully this is going to be pretty varied and a, a pretty good way to introduce everybody back to the podcast. For any new listeners, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, for old listeners, thank you for returning to the fold, our tender and warm and yet blackened bosom to which we embrace you so tightly. But there's crucial things that you need to do. Uh, first off is to follow us on social media, me, the death metal guy on Facebook at Terminus Podcast and the black metal guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And for the particularly dedicated Terminators, feel free to subscribe to us on Patreon. 
$3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime and Terminus After Dark bonus episodes, uh, one of which we actually recorded and released over the break. And $5 and up gets you access to the uh, Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server where we discuss the latest and greatest developments in Polish black metal. So, anything from you, man? Or are we just, uh, just going to jump into this thing? I mean... Yeah, I think we've we've done the overview. Oh yeah, we, did you already explain that the format is going to be in addition to rapid fire? It's like we're doing it as sort of um, semi reaction stuff. So you know how like often when we, we, we when we have time, we fit in you know a new demo or EP that one of us has listened to at the beginning of the show, and he plays it for the other guy. That's kind of the approach we're doing today with. Uh, most of these records, I've I've listened to one of them, but I each one of us has done the samples for one of the records, and so the other's basically going to be responding to them. Yeah, we're gonna the for the YouTube version of this one, we're gonna have a big thumbnail of both of us like yeah. soy facing. It'll yeah. be like <laughs> Roman Catholic reacts to satanic black metal or some shit. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to do that. And that means that even though, you know, a lot of these are, some of these are or all of these are full length releases and, you know, uh, some of them are by long established, very important bands, but like, and normally we do like four, four sample reviews of those, but like this time they'll be, because we got to move through them a little quicker, it's going to be more sort of specific two sample kind of reviews of each one of them just because it's a roundup kind of thing it'll be good it's like a little charcuterie board for the listeners exactly hey all this is brandon from cromley and you're listening to terminus all right and we are kicking off the year with a listener request uh this is um Chasm Shroud's Mana from Heaven. This is an independent release on Bandcamp, but it got a cassette release on Forbidden Sonority as well. Uh, so yeah, this uh, one of the guys from the band sent this to us, and I said, we will get to this at some point, and we have. Uh, so let that be a, a note to everyone. If you've ever emailed us a serious a serious request about like reviewing your band and its music that's a good fit for the podcast, like we will... We will get back to you on some time frame, and we will do it, you know. Um, if you just send us a link to your uh, Deathcore demo uh, with no comment, we will not get back to you. <laughs> um, so, um, so this is a, you know, it, it, this is just, it, it is a black metal band from New Jersey. I guess on Metal Archives it's listed as Black Death, but it's basically kind of like low-end heavy black metal. Um and this is a, a debut full length, but it's sort of like, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very early release. And so we're going to do the kind of workshop thing that we do with records like this, right? It's um, uh, basically, Chasm Shroud sounds like two bands, Dark Throne and Negative Plane. Um, and so there's very different aspects to the sound, right? Did, did you ever listen to Negative Plane at all back in the day? Um, like a little bit, because mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of in the mid to late two thousands, mm-hmm. that was kind of the first wave of their big popularity. Mm-hmm. 
I remember listening to it, but I just really wasn't that interested in that style at the time. That more kind of dissonant, sprawling USBM thing. Um, I'm not much more into that style now, but I probably have more time for it these days. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure actually. I like initially really liked the first one because there were these kind of like spidery speed metal leads that were a lot like you know the the coolest destruction riffs. Mm-hmm. But oh, as time went on, I realized oh, they're just like using these all over the place in a way that they sort of like it becomes. It's riffs used in a non-riffy way, basically. I, I wonder if I wonder if now I would just be like, you know, when you're young and just learning to parse songwriting, you sometimes decide a reason not to like something you like because mm-hmm. you think you've discovered a reason not to like it. So maybe I'd like it now. Maybe yeah. I'd just be like, oh yeah, no, these were cool destruction riffs. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, basically it has kind of these these squiggly leads going all over the place, very minimal. Or very sorry, very reverby, not minimal, very like dense atmosphere, and um, it's kind of on the one hand, it is yeah tending toward as you say sprawling, dissonant, modern, arty, but it also has a very vintage sensibility to it, sort of uh, more organic production, a bit of a uh, I don't know like a. You, you can tell they're probably into shit like um, uh, Death SS and Mortuary Drape and King Diamond uh, somehow, okay. yeah. which which is a reason I might not like it very much now, right? But that is one thing they have in common with Dark Throne, is that kind of 80s or even 70s retro fetish. Mm-hmm. Um, however, this Chasm Shroud doesn't really... Ha- that that vintage sensibility must be in the background, but like musically, it is very modern sounding, heavy kind of uh, heavy black metal that um, in the early two thousands you might have called necro or something. Basically, this is like um, it's like a somewhat more polished twenty twenty three twenty twenty two production version of. Something that would have been uh, not out of place in the early 2000s scene. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's, it seems like it comes it comes out of the age of Fenris radio. Ah, I see. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it, I mean, this sounds like, um, I mean, what we've talked about, just how lately there's been more and more sort of early 2000s mm-hmm. style black metal coming back. So, mm-hmm. but we've heard a lot of different possible versions of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested to see kind of where I would slot yeah. this one. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that as a general overall appraisal, I'd say this record is kind of pulling towards two sides of that, right? The Dark Throne and the Negative Plane one. You can have raw, ripping, minimalist black metal on the kind of the early Dark Throne records, but also stuff like Hate Them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sort of simpler, just sawing power chord Dark Throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, or this kind of very mannered, spacey reverb stuff. And if there's a more recent band that brings those sides together, I'd guess these guys probably really like Predatory Light. Mm, okay. Who I didn't like on... I, I couldn't get that into on record, but I saw live and was phenomenal. Hmm. Um, because okay. it just had a huge bass sound. Um, uh, but yeah, so... That's a general lay of the land thing. Um, let's get to some samples. The first one is Astral Projections to the Kingdom of Shale. This is track one. We're about 50 seconds in after the spacey stuff. Mm-hmm. 
What, what did you make of it? So I think the central reference point, as I hear it, is uh, it's actually craft for this band. Mm, that makes a lot. This of is sense. very craft because you kind of get there. You know, you take you take Dark Throne and then you add more modern kind of dissonant ideas, and you kind of get craft. And mm. actually, even the the really slow labored doom thing at the end. Uh, my buddies in one of my bands, they're really into craft, especially the first one, Total Soul Rape, which I hadn't heard until recently because I just heard like Fuck the Universe and stuff and mm-hmm. I wasn't into it. Yeah, Total yeah, Soul yeah. Rape is like actually pretty cool. Um, imagine like it's a, a great title. Well, imagine like a more traditionally Swedish take on like really gorked Portuguese stuff. Mm-hmm. And that'll that kind of gets you there. It's like it's so it's so deliberately pared down and retarded. Mm-hmm. It, it has an eerie atmosphere because of just how weird it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably a central reference point to these guys is like the way craft arranges things with this sort of like biting, punky, fuck you, chainsaw black metal stuff versus the sort of artier uh, doom stuff or um, just sort of just odd chord shaping, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the, the sound that's a little less... Um it's a this is a very raw punchy sound but I wouldn't describe it as like super organic it's, yeah it's um, it, it's it's not um it's not really trying to be lo-fi it's it's very just yes. direct yeah 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 I, I basically like I think the guitar tone could be tweaked a bit but it's basically like good I like how loud it is I like that it is sort of um you know uh gritty but uh you know, gritty but legible. I think um, the yeah. I, I I like the production. The only thing that I would say is I think the sort of blown out mega reverbed vocals are just kind of an odd yeah. choice for the style. That's the sort of that's the negative plane factor here, okay. or the the predatory light thing. And that yeah. So let's talk about that. Those are the two sides. I mean, I think we have the same read on this, which yeah, which is just you could get rid of the arty stuff, and this would be like already just a very cool band. Yeah, yeah, um, it would I mean if they get rid of the arty stuff they basically become Avski, you know. <laughs> right. So so let's talk about that. So basically like um on, on songwriting nuts and bolts, right? Um the initial AB riff sequence very cool. Um you you get this uh you know speedy tram riff kind of a, a bit epic, more consonant than you might think and then you know into the sick downbeat break which is basically a breakdown and sounds kind of like stuff on that vong record um heavy downbeat sort of uh something that works like a metalcore breakdown but is done in the vocabulary of like dark throne mm-hmm. um uh that that is very crushing and there's on that part there's really cool lead embellishments happening that are easier to notice on headphones mm-hmm. um you can hear some of the death metal influence in there on the sort of low-end single-string stuff, flourishes that he puts in. Um, then very quickly we hear the In the Shadow of the Horns riff. Mm-hmm. Um, we we talked about this while it was playing. There is nothing in principle wrong with throwing that um, time-honored riff into your record, especially if you focus more on the direct garage attack. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think you can do it as the, like, two minutes into the record. Or, you know, as a, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it was a little too soon, given it's so recognizable. Yeah, and I th- I don't even mm-hmm. know if it's so much a matter of too soon, so much as, like, when it's in proximity to the arty stuff, it just, mm-hmm. it's not the right kind of contrast. 
Yeah, well, I guess part of the thing when I mean too soon is I wanted to hear more of the blasting part. Yeah, the blasting yeah. part disappears and basically never comes back for the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. There might be a very little bit at the end, um, mm-hmm. uh, but like the basic blast riff is good and could be brought out, and stuff like that is dialed back because there's also the arty stuff. Um, they mm-hmm. often sound really good when they're just playing the fast fast punky trem riffs um so yeah if you cut the arty stuff you amp up the trem riffs then suddenly the shadow of the horns riff hits a little bit later because you played the trem riff more and also there's more stuff around it that reinforces that aspect of the music yeah um yeah so here's the and that you know that might be a one of the rare sort of vintage metalisms on this record is that riff in particular. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, that's an eightiesism. Um, then there's some like really cool uh, as far as the other death metal-y moments, right? We get some they they throw into the breakdown again, and then they get out of it with this cool kind of um, sassy but in a good way death metal riff. Yeah. <laughs> And you can tell it's being played very live because he plays the rhythm on it differently a couple times and in a way that makes it heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, and then we just get this, just like, this, the void. Mm-hmm. Um, the cover of this record is Satan in Space. I think they've taken a Doré uh, devil and... Um, cut and pasted it over like you know a picture of galaxies and shit um and so we get to the space part and the part that has to do with this more sort of demonstratively arty uh early 2000 stuff and you you hear that sort of plotting riff it starts out with Mm -hmm. they do that for four minutes with with a or three minutes with a little bit of spacey stuff happening over it Mm -hmm. so and when I talk on the show about, like, doom riffs that I don't like, like, that have no momentum to them, like, that's a great example. Uh, like, so, and the songs sort of lean heavily on this, uh, y- you know, they, they are structured around these voids. Um, track three does the same thing, and it's got... It has one that goes for a minute and 20 seconds. And it's a little more interesting. There's some cool textures. And then there's another void. And then the song ends. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's a good example of just, like, stuff that could all be filled in with just, like, more of the simple bashing black metal that these guys are very good at and that it is inherently cooler than spacey voids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, you want to go to? You got anything more about that one? No, I I want to hear another one for more context. Yep. All right. So let's go to. Um, this is the title track at the end. Uh, Mana from heaven. Um, and uh, yeah, let's just immediately get into it. So we're we're so yeah we're we're in the song are we?
You know, th- this is a really w- weird case where this seems to be a a band that really wants to just like play live in corpse paint like with their tongues out the whole mm-hmm. time sort mm-hmm. of like trapped within these more like artsy spaces but yeah. the thing is like but the thing is like literally everything in that sample can be done by guys who are covered in fake blood with spikes on like all of that is totally doable within like the 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 conceit of like pretty down the middle black metal and it's like I think that's really where these guys' hearts are, you know? Yeah, and, you know, there is a more void stuff in this song. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it works more as a build, I'll say. But, um, but yeah, this part is, like, just pound for pound, like, the strongest part of the record and is awesome. Yeah, that's there really is, good. Like, I want to play a show with those guys, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and the garage, you can hear the live playing, the garage energy. Um, every single riff is good, great, good to great, and I lost track of them. Um, mm-hmm. There are parts on this record that are blasting parts where he'll be doing the more negative playing sort of scronk chording with narrower intervals and sort of more spidery needling riffs. Mm-hmm. Those just don't sound as cool. Like, if you're doing, when this band plays narrow intervals and dissonance to create power, like that last riff, which was not just Dark Throne doing Celtic Frost, that just was a Celtic Frost riff, mm-hmm. right? When they're using dissonance for power, they're crushing. When they're using dissonance power for atmosphere, it's just like, that's not that, it's just not a sonic property either of us are that interested in. Um, and it's um, <clears throat> the... Uh, and when he's doing a lot of the blast riffs and some of the the slow stuff there too, he's doing much more consonant, epic-sounding guitar stuff, and it's awesome. And it's still very high tension, like the um, the riff that starts or the do 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 do. That's really cool. That's got a lot of tension in it against the bass note, and it's like a Transylvanian hunger thing. You yeah, know? it's got the, it's got that tubular bells quality of like second wave melodic riffs. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, I, I Basically, yeah. The, and that part, another thing this band has composite. So the, yeah, the, the sort of one of the bands, this band, they don't need any compositional tricks because this section proves they have the compositional chops to like, to basically do the go for the gut pummeling that a band like Kraft or Avski would do uh, or a metalcore band would do in a good way but to also do it with a knack for um, structural, like for structure and dynamic buildups and riff interaction that a lot of those bands just aren't interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's your, that's your thing right there. So I, I think our consensus on this is basically just, um, if you don't worry about doing the arty thing and just... Uh, just stick your tongue out and shred, you will make better art. Hi, this is Taylor from Crushing the Scepter, and you're listening to Terminus Podcast. All right. And we are back with a record that somehow went under our radar this year, but should not have. It is Manticore's 
endless scourge of torment. <laughs> not to be not to be confused with the ending scourge torment. Yeah, it's it's such a great title. It's such a perfect extreme metal title, you know. <laughs> y- yes. It's yeah. what every metal record should sound like is an endless scourge of torment. <laughs> so Yes. <laughs> yes, and it is of course out on Hell's Headbanger Records. Um uh so um Manticore is a band you you knew about them, right? Yeah, Manticore's cool. Yeah, yeah exa- exactly. So I I was not like a huge Manticore. I didn't like know Manticore super well, but they their last record came out a decade ago. It was Behold the Ascension of the Execrated. I listened to it. I liked it a lot. Um, this is one of those bands that um, those in the know have always just been like, Manticore is cool. Yeah. Everyone can agree <laughs> Manticore is cool. Yeah, nobody has a um, bad opinion about Manticore. I mean, exactly, they are... Yeah. They they fulfill a an admirable niche in the scene yes. of like, um, you know the death metal side of war metal, you know it's it's really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they are, um, yeah. There's there's a lot to be said about this. Yeah, so about that niche, right? Um, th- first, yeah, like sonically, the death metal side of war metal, right? This is something we've talked a lot about lately. And then on the other hand, right, just extreme authenticity. These guys are from the early 2000s. They're from uh, rural Ohio. Uh, this is um, their their first uh, EP, Ritual Cleansing of the Whore, uh, came out through another Ohio, uh, another Ohio guy's uh, late great Breath of Night label. I'm reading for the promo, but that's the guy from Judas Iscariot who did that. So um, they're connected to just really core USBM stuff. Um, and they're one of those bands that doesn't release records very often, right? It's been a full 10 years since the last one. But whenever they do, people take note. Um, so let's talk about that sort of their pedigree in the scene, their age in the scene, and how that relates to war metal as death metal. All right, so we, 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 we've got a lot of the war metal as death metal stuff now, right? We've been talking about that a lot in the last in the last year or two, and you know, I think we've both decided a lot of that is that's where most of the best war metal is coming from these days, mm-hmm. right? So we've done Blood Chalice, you would say, as an example of that. Oh yeah, that that's a really good mm-hmm. example, or really, I mean, sort of the Arch Goat thing, the the Arch Goat yeah. sound in general, which is if you really break it down, pound for pound, mm-hmm. more death metal than black metal or Demoncy. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, Demoncy is another old one. But yeah, Archgoat and Demoncy old ones. Um, Imprecation would be, you could, people call Imprecation a war metal band because of the black metal spirit, but it's pretty, sonically, it's completely death metal. Yeah, right? it's just, um, I mean, it's elaborations on Morbid Angel kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so, yeah, and the Imprecation record from this year was also great. So Manticore is one of the ancestors of this style, and that, um, and one way you could describe that is, uh, you know, since since their ritual cleansing of the horror was 2001, and their first dam- demo came out in 2000, the year before, they predate Revenge by a year, mm-hmm. right? And would have come up playing shows with Revenge, probably. Uh, and that means they they predate the exam predate the pervasive influence of Revenge on what people think of as war metal. Um, so they have a very different notion of that um, that's rooted in death metal and uh, low-end riff power. 
right? Whereas the one that's become more popular today is rooted in revenge or maybe conqueror uh, or maybe sort of Diocletian, which is sort of combines the revenge stuff with more of the direct blasphemy stuff. So Manticore is very close to the source and they really are just part of the source. And that means that the, the idea of war metal here is a lot richer and more interesting. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> oh yeah, the last thing I want to do in that vein is just real quick, read the list of similar artists on Metal Archives, which <laughs> is really different, which was obviously written a long time ago and is uh, probably around when the last record came out and before, so pre-2015, um, and which shows that richer sense of what war metal can be. Um, so, number one, Archgoat, you called it, right? Mm -hmm. Number two, Blasphemy. Number three, Order from Chaos, yeah. right? Number four, Angel Corpse, right? Even though this is not particularly Angel Corpsey, it has that spirit. Yeah. Um, number five, Archon and Faustus. Haven't heard of them in a while, right? Um, six, Morbosidad. Seven, Imprecation. Eight, Irreverent. Nine, Scarabius. Ten, Thronium. Do you know any of the last three? I know Thronium. Thronium yeah. are a Polish band that works in this style, and they're also very cool. All right, cool. So basically... You know, you hear very few of the standard names that would be thrown around for, I mean, blasphemy, obviously. But aside from that, right, this is a very different set of uh, set of war metal. Um, and it has different musical priorities than just sounding like Marduk and being noisy. Um, so uh, there's two sides to this record, the fast stuff and the slow stuff. Um, since these are short reviews, we're going to focus on the slow stuff, which I think is the essence of Manticore's sound. Um, that was what really struck me about uh, the last record, was how heavy it was. Uh, and uh, that it was deeply satisfying on a headbanging level. Um, and the fast stuff here is cool, but it also works in part by kind of being slow for fast stuff, right? It has that arch goat half blast thing. Um, so we're going to go to the most crushing, slow, slower mid-tempo tracks. First one, speaking of good titles, this one is uh, the longest song on the album, kind of the centerpiece, maybe the power ballad. This is Defiled by Supremacy.
All right, so I got some stuff I want to say about this, but what do you want to talk about first? Oh, uh, well, the big thing is it, it, just fascinating the relationship between things. Because so uh, the the couple main riffs of this sample are like the most directly black metal that I've heard Manticore beat. Now I'm I, I haven't heard the last album. I'm familiar with their like early career, their first couple, mm-hmm. and some of the splits and shit. Mm-hmm. But this is more like directly second wave than I've ever heard them before. But then the weird thing is how much of this relies on context. The final riff that if you change the drums around a little bit under that, that's just a jungle rot riff. Yeah, I I hear that. Yeah, yeah it's um, it's it's like that staccato open chug pattern, and then just a big five three thing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's 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 old school Hell's Headbangers. That's like a nunslaughter thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this has to do with uh, riffs, death metal riffs that are about heavy metalisms in death metal. You know, I think yeah. that's really cool. Absolutely. So about the black metal thing, let's talk about that first, right? This is for sure the most second wave sounding thing on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the cool thing is sometimes a war metal band will do that just to show range. And it usually just sounds kind of like mayhem or whatever. This is like deep. This shows deep knowledge of like underground black metal. And it sounds like the Hexen. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're starting from Archgoat for their core sound. And when they want to do more melodic textured stuff, they're reaching towards finish stuff still uh and the hexen really was a basically a black metal band but the songs had huge sort of uh bashing sometimes chugging death metal parts Mm -hmm. um so they're they're like they really know exactly which source to draw on for this stuff um and uh but yeah i think about the heavy metal aspect of uh you know, death metal, you've, you know, that's something you've emphasized again and again about various bands over the last couple of years and something I've learned to hear more through mm-hmm. that. And it's all over this band. Um, so, I mean, about the chug. <clears throat> sure. Okay. That's like very jungle rot or um, nunslaughter. But isn't it also a lot like Danzig? Yeah. Yeah. Just the super just macho, uh, macho motorcycle chug you'd get on like Am I Demon or something. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, yeah, it's, um, so it's, uh, like, that's like a Danzig chug, the way they groove it, right, has that Danzig, John Christ groove, uh, it's not like a band that listens exclusively to black or death metal would play it, Mm -hmm. um, and the cording, although it's Behexen cording, it's also this swinging, loping chord progression, that sort of uh they roll through this chord progression and it turns around into the drop it's also kind of greasy bluesy could be on a danzig record Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh i mean you can see how it links back to some of the weird southernisms you'll hear in something like uh father befeld yeah 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 i think there is a and for this band it goes yeah it goes back to heavy metal and it goes back to that sense of yeah i mean like the sort of uh the sort of like emphatically rural, uh, non-coastal American ethos here, mm-hmm. um, and the uh, and you know and it goes back to even classic rock stuff, right? Uh, yeah. And so I wanted to focus on. Uh, there's a track where they really show that clearly is the cover on this record, track eight, 
where they take um, this is a, it's a timely cover choice. This is an anti-pedo anthem by Twisted Sister, and it's, it's Captain Howdy. I had never heard the song before, and just from the title, you can tell it's about a creepy pedo, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, they take this and they make it, I mean, obviously Twisted Sister is cool and whatnot, but they take this song and they make it just crushing. And I'm like, I didn't know Twisted Sister wrote riffs like that. It, it just, you know, really punishing Sabbath-style doom riff. Um, and so we're not going to listen to the cover because it's the cover, but that's sort of like a key to, under, they give you a key to understanding the record and to what they're doing. Um, and then on the final track, we get more like that. So this, uh, so th they have a, um, you know, they, they do a really pummeling, just uh, sort of revenge anthem, not like the band, but like the thing, you know, <laughs> like, like, like crush the backstabbing scumbag. Um, which is, you know, a classic. Uh, and then we get to this song. Um, and often we like to stress that just because a riff is slow doesn't mean it's a doom riff, right? Like, okay, that's a slow black metal riff. That's a slow death metal riff. This is a doom riff. When, when that first vocal came in, the death metal guy just cracked up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, just, they're so grotesque. It, it really does, like, center on Attila and expand from there. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I think I love hearing those vocals in this context, right? Like, yeah. some of Attila, uh, Attila's stuff is... um. Like, I really like, like, for instance, I really like the throat singing stuff, but Mayhem is not a very, it's, like, especially, atil, like, you know, the later Mayhem stuff, right? It's not very, it deliberately sounds non-primitive, mm -hmm. right? It's uh, it's very sort of technical, extremely fast, carefully structured. Um, this is extraordinarily primitive, right, in the best sense, right? This is just sort of like... Uh, 
you know, primordial extreme metal, and it's based on, you know, pummeling drone and repetition and root note stuff. And so hearing the, like, this guy can actually, he's actually figured out how to do the throat singing thing. Mm -hmm. That was a thing I wanted to stress about the last track, too, the way he... He just fully starts, um, starts, starts droning over the chug. Uh, um, so like that, that, that I, I love that in this context and just the total, um, you know, the, the, everything about this record is shows total freedom from convention and total commitment to the bit, right? Like mm-hmm. what I was saying while it was playing was it's, it's like at the beginning of every song in parentheses at the top, he's got just be evil. Right. Um, and it, it just the vocals, he's so going for it. He's not trying to be cool at all. Um, and, you know, like about the songwriting, um, another thing I wanted to mention about the last one was, and that's here, this one too, right? Could you hear that sort of like dive bombing lead stuff that's going through the whole track? Yeah, yeah. It, it just constantly kind of moving in and out of audibility, just sort of like fading in and out. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, strobing, kind of strobing air raid siren shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of, all, the songs are built around just core riff structures, and then they use that to do a ton of really outplaying, right? Both in the vocals, which are, like, as you noticed, half improvised, basically, uh, and just so... There's a, there's a lot of stuff that is not words. <laughs> a lot of these, it's just yeah. sort of grumbling groans and shit. And there's a lot of stuff where you can clearly tell he's never phrased it that way before. It just hit him, mm-hmm. um, and it's really expressive. And same with the guitar. They have they they have this layer of guitars that's basically noise guitar and you know sort of like continuous solo noise, which is really cool and really rare. Uh, um. Uh, yeah, it's, um, and, you know, the double bass section is also awesome, like, also, like, really awesome. That's an example of how do you do a bolt thrower thing and make it sound black metal, right? You know, and it, it, it takes the main riff and it turns it into, like, a martial trumpet fanfare. Um, yeah, this is awesome. Um, to close out, uh, I thought I would read a comment by, uh, by the top. Uh, by the top commenter on the uh, on the YouTube, this is uh, Opopopopopo says. First saw these guys in a festival in the woods. Hot summer day, they poured blood everywhere, and buzzards started to swarm. Raw is an understatement. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse, and I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. All right, we are back uh, with my first record of the evening, uh, which is a Tribal Gaze with the Nine Choirs released on Maggot Stomp uh, last year in September. Um, Tribal Gaze is really hard to get a read on. I heard their name a bunch uh, late last year, but I didn't really pay attention. Thought it was a Maggot Stomp band and was like, I'll get around to it eventually. But then I talked to some people whose taste I respect a lot, and they really recommended it to me. So I decided to check it out. Go to the Metal Archives page. Here's the here's the shirts that we have for the band that are in view on their picture. Blood Incantation, bad. Cannibal Corpse's Gallery of Suicide, weird and good. <laughs> Power Trip, bad. 
earn good. So it's it's real hard to determine exactly what you're going to get. Um, and then you think it's Maggot Snop, uh, then you see the really weird abstract album art that depicts an angel with some Dolly-esque uh, head a turning into a trumpet. sculpture on his head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> really, really, really cool cover. If I had ever seen this cover, I would have smashed, I would have yeah. clicked on it. Yeah. So now, so now um, we brace ourselves for something unusual. Um, and what we have is um, something that makes sense to be on Maggot Stomp in that it is a mixture of death metal and hardcore, but executed in almost sort of precisely the opposite way of a lot of Maggot Stomp bands. Um, in the sense that a lot of the Maggot Stomp bands are sort of using hardcore parts to recreate certain strains of 2000s death metal. Uh, tribal gays are kind of using 2000s death metal parts to make Slayer shirt camo pants hardcore songs, at mm. least as far as I can tell. The prevailing influences on this record appear to be um, like Morbid Angel and Knocked Loose. And so it has a lot Whoa. of. Yeah, I know. It, like late Morbid Angel, like Gateways to Annihilation. So it definitely resembles pretty heavily like early Zabalba and No Zodiac, but there's these very fine differences in pacing and the way they arrange things and strange sort of rhythmic idioms that are kind of unique to this band. And yeah, the Morbid Angel thing makes it seem <coughs> quite, that that like I would not have associated Zabalba with Morbid Angel. No, the 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 cording of this is like extremely Azictote inspired, even though it's inserted into these like knuckle dragger tough guy hardcore rhythmic setups. Um, it also sounds a lot like Numa Hagion, but with the sort of latent accidental hardcore resemblance of that band like directly pursued. So, mm -hmm. and given that these guys are from Texas, it's possible that Numa Hagion is a meaningful influence on these guys. Um, so, very strange record, hard to wrap your head around. I had to listen to this a few times to really put my thoughts together, but I think it's going to grow on me even more. And had I heard this last year and had a little bit of time to sit on it, it probably would have ended up in top of the year for 22. Um so just as an example to kind of try and pick apart the weirdness of this record, we're going to listen to a whole track from the middle of the album. This is a song called To Gather in Its Presence. Now, moment to moment, a lot of these things are going to feel pretty familiar in terms of, you know, riffing arrangements. But I'd like to concentrate more broadly on sort of the shape of the song, how it moves, and how sort of none of the expected moves in this style occur. They're always reaching for a weirder idea that keeps the listener a little bit off balance and wondering exactly how they're supposed to react to it.
so yeah, that gives you a little bit into, of insight into just how oddly this music is paced. This strikes me as a band who they're very dedicated to both death metal and hardcore, but what they've chosen to import from hardcore are some of the things that usually get left behind. People usually go for the the points where hardcore and death metal sort of naturally converge, especially mm-hmm. in, you know, breakdown riffs that sound like suffocation riffs, certain ideas of how to pace song structures with peaks and valleys. But these guys choose some of the weirder aspects of 90s and 2000s hardcore, like kind of open chord strummed riffs or those very weirdly slow two-step parts they Mm -hmm. keep putting throughout the songs. Now, I know current hardcore pretty well, but you're a lot more acquainted with 90s and 2000s stuff, which is where I think a lot of this influence is coming from. Is there anything that this strikes you as resembling from that side of the scene? You know, that's funny. I wasn't even really thinking about parallels when I was listening to it, which probably <laughs> says something good. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was very just immersed uh, from the first riff. Uh, it's, um, you know, uh, I mean, I I don't know if you could describe open string chug as a weird part. Of oh, it. no, no. I mean, like the, the open strumming stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not. What does that mean? Oh, you know, the, the, the sort of just, like, loose eighth note open chord, uh, you know. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 not palm muting it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I get that. Um, that probably seemed less weird to me just because hardcore. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're, but, um, you know, I, as far as, like, um, I mean, I think, like, the hardcoreisms are related to what, I mean, in a way, we could just say the hardcore influences Sepultura, right? Yeah, it's um, interesting because you had mentioned that, and that was something I forgot to put down the notes. Is there's a substantial feeling of like Chaos AD and Roots yeah. era Sepultura. On yeah, this the band name suggests Sepultura, Soulfly, and beyond that, the stench bands that influenced them, mm-hmm. right? And so throughout, I mean, this definitely has a you called this in the notes American chug music, mm-hmm. and which is you know which is like I think it's a cool idea because you're you're drawing on the the that's like your version of the British chug music term I've used to refer to all this death metal and industrial bands that came out of the states. Yeah, my my idea being mm-hmm. sort of like this uh, beat down hardcore death metal mm-hmm. slam, all this yeah. chug music and extreme music. Yes, and so I think some of that is, I think there's some direct influence from the stench bands, or at least from Sepul- from the British chug scene, or at least from stuff like Sepultura, who is uptaking that and turning it into a certain kind of like highly rhythmic, kind of funky, tribal mosh hardcore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, camo shorts and flailing dreadlocks in the pit. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, yeah, so the... Um, Aesthetically, that's here, too, in an interesting way. Like, I think, okay, this tribal gaze, what does that have to do with the cover? But then you read the track titles, and you're like, oh, they're doing, like, the um, the sort of um, Sepultura um, Rainforest Tribal Insurgent thing meets Lovecraft um, Savage Worshippers of uh, the Elder Gods. Thing. Yeah, and there's also that mm. that '90s 2000s like stridently atheistic or satanic hardcore thing too. 
Yeah, it's like tribal Satanism or something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so, yeah, to gather in its presence with this creature I return, jealous messiah, shapeless sovereign, jungle rituals, worthless offering. Mm-hmm. This is very cool because most of the Lovecraftian stuff, it's just, like, completely superficial, mm-hmm. right? Um, with Morbid Angel, it was not, and this doesn't strike me as superficial either. Uh, and it is just really cool titles. Yeah, so I can't point you to much more direct parallels than just like, yeah, probably stench and maybe holy terror stuff insofar as it's very hardcore but very satanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really neat, wholly realized aesthetic. And, mm-hmm. uh, and to relate to something I said earlier as far as like the Zabalba comparison, there's something similar going on to structurally to how Zabalba structures their songs and that they are death metal plus hardcore songs that lean heavily on breakdowns, but they don't flow in the same way as hardcore songs. They're much more horizontal and breakdown figures don't really seem to release tension as much as just be another part. They're not hyper emphasized. Um, all the parts of the song are sort of on the same, you know, in the same playing field, uh, which is similar to what tribal gaze does here, where it's like the biggest moshiest parts are not really emphasized. They're just as significant as the weirder, more abstract, morbid angel parts. And I think that's really cool. That's the thing that's stenchy about it. It's that like, instead of being strictly breakdown structured, it's it's one big continuum of mid-tempo chug riffs. But yeah. unlike a stench band, there are way more riffs here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Way more riffs. And um, although stench is rhythm intensive, this really depends on rapid, frequent, dynamic, rhythmic change-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's never uh, it's never the same chug exactly. Yeah, I'm um, I'm guessing that's probably like latent like slam influence. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like cephalotripsy stuff. Yes, it's like yeah. ev- everything's going to be yeah. same same yes. tempo and timbre. So it's yes. up to you to create variation. Yes, tribal gaze is 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 finding its way to the uh, the chug conti- the the chug singularity we've long promised. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a uh, you know also what I would say about Zabalba as a comparison. Is that I almost feel like, um, what is it? There, there's like a song on um, on Madre Mia that uh, to me is like head and shoulders. Like the whole record obviously just just kills. But like as far as like doing the things I like black metal to do, never kneel. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, they're like, never kneel. I was just, oh, I, fucking Christ. Yeah, I was listening to this album yesterday, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that album, right, the lyrics are just, you know, Aztec warriors d- lamenting the fall of their empire and, you know, d- define, uh, <clears throat> you know, you d- define history, right? And at the same time, um, the, uh, the guitars have a much more sort of atmospheric, epic kind of neurosis thing than you mm-hmm. get anywhere else on the record. The guitars really sound barbaric and heroic. Uh, and Tribal Gaze taps into that side of Zibalba, which is a side I wanted to hear more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, The whole record is doing really weird dynamic things like that. Mm-hmm. So my second sample is off the track Jealous Messiah. Um there's a few blasting sections across this record that are really interesting and in that they're used as in the way that devourment will do their very grindy blast beats to just build sort of noise and tension mm-hmm. um, or how Cryptopsy did that as well. 
But here, you're going to hear a really cool blasting section that just collapses completely, almost without notice, into, like, a Slugathor Doom Death groove riff. Um, hmm. And I here I want to point out something else, which is the drum performance on this record is phenomenal, because the drummer appears to always be playing an inappropriate beat for the riff above it, and yet it always works. It's a totally different way of hearing these riffs, and the way he plays around with your expectations of how a song uh, with these sorts of influences should progress is really cool. I I, kind of wanted to keep it running just because that last riff is so weirdly shaped and the Mm -hmm. fact that it it's so weirdly shaped and what's the response to that super weird bespoke shape on the drums is just the world's slowest D beat. Oh, it's, it's, a win- it's a winter DB. Or yeah, yeah. DB. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I like, um, this is one of those cases where we talked about how there's a lot of these kind of doomier death metal bands or just like slow death metal bands that operate in these no man's land tempos that I tend to like a lot more than mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tribal Gaze also seems to mostly live in those. It's like a little bit too slow and or a little bit too fast for every single riff. Um and but this weird network is built, you know, the relationship between these relatively simple riffs, like that whole opening but, section. But I really like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that whole opening section with all the kind of staggered blast beats, there's like five different riffs. 
that they just play for a couple repetitions at a time and start swip, sw- swapping out and rearranging on the fly, which is really cool before the song even like properly begins. Um, I, I just I, I can't get enough of how oddly these songs move. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of Astral Tomb in some ways, in that Astral Tomb is another band that's doing very high and very low art at the same time and using it to play with your expectations as a listener. Yeah, so I've got some thoughts that parallel that. I'll go I'll go to the Astral Tomb thing second. I mean, mm-hmm. one thing, so in that opening section, it's a stagger, it's a like... It's a staggered or slow blast beat section, but that's only half of it because the other half is breakdown fills. Mm-hmm. Each each section, it's like each riff is half blast, stammering triplet blasts and half breakdown under what are these just kind of jagged, jagged azectote trem riffs. Um, then in the second section, they use the same technique of blasting, um, of chugging over a blast, right? Morbid Angel are the kings of chugging over a blast. It's one of the heaviest things you can do, uh, and it's uh, it should be done more. <laughs> However, Morbid Angel usually use things to give things that um, that extreme gravity that they have and that architectural crispness, right? It's um, uh, it's like. It, it's it's a it's a not a breakdowny way of being heavy. It's a, it's a very different way of being heavy. This band does the chug over a blast as a breakdown. So when the song really hits, you just get a huge rolling breakdown riff, right? Mm-hmm. A complicated breakdown riff. And in the middle, the drummer starts playing the stammer blasts again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is just awesome. Um, I mean, you know, also, I mean, these kids are probably in the generation of people who know straight savage style. Yeah. So they probably like that, right? That has just heinous blast beats in it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so speaking of kids, right? It seems like they're very young dudes. I don't mean that in the patronizing way. They seems like they're very young dudes. Uh, mm-hmm. And what I was saying while this was playing, you know, Astral Tomb is another really good example. Like, it seems like we're finding a generation of, uh, guys in their late teens, early 20s in the U.S. who have the same kind of um, explosive talent as um, Mayhem and Emperor and Burzum did in the early 90s. Um, yeah. Uh, there's Something is really in the water now. Right. And these guys are really right. finding out great ways to blend all these popular current ideas. Yeah. It's like they come out from the gate with a complete and highly original vision. And uh, the... Um, and it's like they're they're too young to to know they're not supposed to try. <laughs> yeah, they haven't been jaded yet. They're still they're still attempting. No, I I'll say I I listened to this whole one probably like five times now, and I can say that without a doubt, this is the most exciting band on Maggot Stomp today.
Uh, we are back with, uh, surprise, surprise, another death metal record from the death metal guy. And this is probably the uh, the record tonight with the biggest footprint across the scene. And this is the debut full-length by Stabbing, titled Extirpated Mortal Process, released on Comatose Music. Uh, so Stabbing is a brutal death metal band from Texas who just started in 2021. So they're very fresh, but most of the people in this band are pretty seasoned with affiliations to other brutal death bands. Uh, most notably Renee on drums, who also plays in Flesh Hoarder, who are pretty big, um, as well as just a, a whole host of other affiliations between everybody else. Um, so... Stabbing picked up a lot of steam very quickly uh, for several reasons. Uh, one being that, especially for modern brutal death metal, their music tends to be pretty catchy and pretty um, decipherable to even like regular death metal fans. And also because they just played a fucking lot. Man, they toured aggressively uh, throughout the South and I believe the East Coast basically since they've been a band. Um, just constantly picking up slots on festivals, you know, whatever they could do, like Black Flag type hustle. So uh, they released their first demo in 2021. I like that a lot. They released an EP shortly after that I wasn't as into. And now that we've got the full length, I find myself kind of in between those two. Um, so right up front, I'm going to say this is a very good record. It's very professionally made and at no point is it unenjoyable. Um, so a lot of the critical things I'm going to have to say are coming from the perspective of being like a super dedicated, brutal death metal guy. So take that with a grain of salt. I think just about anyone's going to enjoy this album just because it's very well executed. Um, but stabbing seems to try to bowl pretty down the middle of the lane for brutal death metal. Um, it's not particularly slammy and it's not overtly technical like a lot of the biggest brutal death bands are instead it's hewing a little bit closer to kind of traditional texas and new york brutal death metal sounds a little bit of technical flair little bit of groove but mostly concentrated on blast beats uh down picked palm muted riffs that sort of thing um and it's very successful in that uh the question about this record is the a lot of the stuff that I would say is an asset to it for some listeners is also going to be detrimental to others. Uh, so, for instance, this is much more straightforward than a lot of the brutal death metal that I'm listening to or we've been covering on the show. Uh, the songwriting tends to be a lot blockier, you know, four of this, eight of that type stuff. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But it kind of depends on you as a listener. If most brutal death is too indecipherable for you to get your hooks into, this might be more approachable. But if you're like a really seasoned person who's listening to a ton of, you know, defeated sanity, putridity, stuff like that, this might seem just a little bit too predictable for you. Um, but to show what I mean, uh, right off the bat, well, actually, sorry, I should probably give you room to talk, although I guess I, there's not much context yet, is there? <laughs> yeah, I did a pretty long intro for the Manticore, so, you know. Um, yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I think yeah, sounds interesting, you know, as it sounds like more death, given that it's on the more death metal side of Brutal Death, right, like the, the mm -hmm. TXDM stuff and whatever, I'm interested to hear it. Uh, I feel like... You know, as you've described it on paper, right? It sounds like something maybe I, a person who is not a died in the wool brutal death person, might like. So let's let's see. 
Yeah, I would say that a lot of this structurally has a lot more to do with uh, more traditional death metal songwriting formats. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll go to, again, I'm going to play a whole track uh, just because that's the easiest way to talk about structural stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to go with the title track, Extirpated Mortal Process, which is a good microcosm for the record. I mean, this is a record that operates within very deliberate constraints. All the songs are two to three and a half minutes long, um, built out of the same basic building block. So there's a real rigor to the conceit here. Um, but we'll listen to this album. And I think it'll become pretty apparent, like, where the strengths and weaknesses that are inherent to this style lie. So it seems like you've got a similar reaction to me, which is the most interesting material is in that more densely plotted middle section of the song. Maybe. Um, I think I like that. So I think I can hear what you mean about it being structured in a more blocky way and therefore like more like regular, more like black metal or more like uh, just straight ahead uh, 
riff-based death, like old-school riff-based death metal. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, sometimes the brutal death stuff you bring on the show is so rapidly changing that I can appreciate it structurally and it's, it's dazzling, but I can't really get my hooks in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that it's a little more just we're going to play this riff four or eight times. Um, mm-hmm. uh I agree that the most exciting stuff is in that moment after around, um, well, yeah, okay, I, I'll, I'll try to, like, I really like the part that hits from 9.30 on, mm-hmm. um, the uh, where, where it starts to really crank up and you get these parts ricocheting off each other more, mm-hmm. that sort of, like, call and response, rapid, sh- fewer repetitions, etc. Neat. I, 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 yeah, so the part you like a lot, I also like a lot. However, from the earlier part in the song, I'd say... Um, I'm guessing one of the riffs you thought they played maybe too long is the riff from 9 to 9.30. The sort of... It's based on sort of descending runs, and it extends for a long time, and they play it like eight times. Yeah, it's like the intro riff. Yeah. Um, No, it's not the intro riff. The intro riff, I agree. Okay, we agree on that. The intro riff, at first, I'm like, hey, that's cool. I like that. That's a brutal death riff that works in a very just direct death metal-y way. And then I... I, I agree with they repeat it too much, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's like four reps instead of two. It should be two. The second riff they play, I like a lot. And I'm like, I want to hear more of that. So maybe what it is is sort of like the simpler structure means that like a a, a goon, a black metal goon like me is able to second guess the song structures in a way that I would not be able to do with more technical BDM. I gotcha. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I mean, this kind of... Um... I think this kind of makes sense with what you were saying, where it's like, maybe this is a brutal death record that has more immediate appeal to people that aren't as, like, mentally primed for, like, the the fucking labor of listening to an anal stab wound record, you know what I mean? Well, you know, but the middle of it, though, like, I feel like a part I really liked was the middle. The riff they committed to repeating the most was this very long, flowing riff that I could not hum for you now. Mm-hmm. But basically, they play it about eight... It's after the first two or three riffs. They play it about eight times, and then they go into the section that you found really exciting. Um, that riff I liked a lot, because I thought the repetition was being done rather than, like, by standard death metal songwriting convention, right? As you would say, blockiness. It was being done very deliberately. Mm-hmm. It was a riff that was very elaborate, that turned around on itself nicely, and that they played in different variations between sort of uh, chugging out and bending the turnaround in this kind of whiplashy way. They changed those variations um, every rep and sometimes every other. They changed it in an unpredictable, cool way. So I'm going to say I liked that aspect of the repetitiveness, but maybe... Maybe it would be best if they were more committed to either pummeling repetition or this rapid-fire ricochet structural fireworks stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that's kind of my question about the record is um, how is it going to kind of... How is this record going to play out with audiences in an era where I feel the best brutal death metal is the most abstract and challenging, which has not always been the case, mm-hmm. but over the past few years, that's been the best stuff in brutal death. Um, so is there is there a niche for something that's just more straightforward and kind of down the middle? And I think there is. It just might be a different target audience. Um, that being said, there is material on this record that works more for me consistently across the structure of a song. So I'm going to go to a track called Final Flesh Feast. 
Um, and this one uses the inherent blockiness of this music as more of an asset. Um, this is a track that's a little bit grindier. It has a little bit more of that loping forward momentum. And while the blockiness is retained, the four of this, eight of that sort of thing, um, there just feels like there's, it feels like there's more vigor behind this. And I think that if they expand on the ideas in this song, it'll make for a second record that really pushes the band forward. what i wanted to hear yeah so this one is like similarly blocky but those blocks are broken up in these briefer a b a b sort of variations Mm -hmm. um and it allows them to play around with how those individual riffs uh react to one another i mean that's like a b a b c d c d and then we're kicking into an e bridge section after that um so it's basically just as many riffs as the first uh, sample that I chose, but they've been arranged in such a way where you get more of that ricocheting effect. Well, yeah, and I feel like, um, I don't know, I feel like that is, like what I was saying was like in the first one, that beginning of the song where it gets off to sort of a stuttering start is because they're not, they're, as you say, sort of trying to thread a middle path in a way that's not as interesting but then on this track, they have both the impulse to greater repetition, uh, like that middle riff on the last track I really liked. Mm-hmm. So the first couple riffs are structured much more in an accumulating repetitions way. And then you get the blast-off moment in the middle of the track, and there's more there's more repetition even there, but there's much more... The riffs are being much more rapidly, like, chopped up and swapped. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed and matched there in in a cool way. Um, so, I, yeah, I feel like they're doing more of everything there in a good way and avoiding that kind of neither here nor there territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I, I think that uh, I'm starting to see the sort of like cellular chop up rearrangement stuff as sort of like fundamental to the style now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that track executes that a lot better. I mean, um, yeah, I hear that. At this point, I, at this point, we're, we're at a, a strange crossroads in Brutal Death where Slam has sort of left the building and just become its own entity unto itself. Mm-hmm. Like, Brutal Death Metal at one point encompassed all of Slam and all of the very technical bands, but at this point, their respective audiences realized that they were just really invested on one side or the other. Um, and now we've got Stabbing trying to like you said, thread the needle through that middle path. And I think there's indications that they can pull it off with tracks like this, but there's just a lot of other tracks on the record where, you know, it's, it it comes down to these microscopic differences in certain kinds of syncopation in the riffs, drum performances under them, how riffs adjoin to one another. Um, I mean, I could get obsessively into it, and most people would accuse me of nitpicking, but a lot of serious, brutal death people would know more what I'm trying to express there. And you're picking up on it, too. It's that there are simply better and worse ways to execute these kinds of ideas. How's it going? Connor here from Oncology, and you're listening to Terminus. And now for something completely different. We are back with Shape of Despair's new one, Return to the Void, out on Season of Mist. So, um, in a lot of ways, Shape of Despair kind of parallels Manticore, in that they've been around since about 2000, um, and they rarely release records, and especially after, like, you know, after the first few, uh, and when they do, people take notice. So they did a, tr- a trilogy from Shades of to and Angels of Distress and Illusions Play from 2000 through 2004. We had no full-length releases till 2015 with Monotony Fields, which is when I first heard them, and which kind of I think introduced them to a uh, to a new generation of listeners, and it was kind of a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shape of Despair plays Funeral Doom, uh, and they are from Finland. Uh, so, you know, the, the country of Funeral Doom. Um, and I think back in the day, you would have identified them, right, uh, with the rise of, like, say, romantic Funeral Doom? That's primarily what I associate them with, yeah. I, I think they were one of the first bands to explore that that style in a more defined mm-hmm. way. They mm-hmm. kind of, I think, helped to establish the basic template of that. Yeah, what, what's the big romantic Funeral Doom label that we cover? A Solitude Production, Solitude right? Production, yeah. that's kind of what they specialize in. Yeah, so I would say this sort of definitely is that in the general sense in that it's very different from the skept. Uh, skepticism or Thurgathon approach. However, it also uh, might be a bit different from what you're thinking. So, um, uh, yeah, so uh, first off, before I forget, shout out to Mike, uh, one of our listeners, for reminding me this came out last year. I'm glad, I'm really glad we uh, checked it out for the show. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's called Funeral Doom. However, the most immediate musical parallel I can think of is a band like Draconian from Sweden, who are definitely not Funeral Doom, right? 
draconian is much more um, accessible, hook-driven, and also has a lot of just big, banging, conventionally metal parts. Um, but they got their start in exactly the same era. They both had very stable lineups, and they share a ton of musical DNA, all inherited from England, right? Basically from the Peaceville scene. Um, and what... And at its worst, the romantic, in the way that you don't like it, right, the romantic funeral doom stuff can be a bit of a, a neither here nor there combination of the, uh, um, you know, the classic funeral doom sound and peaceful stuff. It can be a bit of a watering down. But I think uh, Shape of Despair are on something very different, right? So a lot of people might listen to Thurgathon and Skepticism, but not so much My Dying Bride or Anathema or um, Paradise Lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so these days, at least, Funeral Doom has much higher capital with black and death metal guys, right? And it's often kind of treated as its own thing. But really, I think you'd agree, it's one branch off of the tree of Peaceville Doom. Um does that sound plausible? Uh, you mean Funeral Doom as a whole? Yeah, Funeral Doom as a whole. Like, the clear precedent for it is in those early 90s British bands. Um, um, yeah, I, w- I would say, I mean, it's the kind of the closest relative sonically. I would mm-hmm. I would argue that especially Skepticism and Theragathon were influenced by, like, very different stuff. But I, I see, I that- take your point. Well, and that's where I'm going, right? So Skepticism and Theragathon, they're clearly the most extreme and radical iteration of stuff from that scene, right? Mm-hmm. The P- In the mid-90s, the Peaceville bands go, go one way towards sort of poppy goth rock and, like, grunge. Um, and the the um, the Finnish bands, the, the Funeral Doom bands, develop in a completely different way. And both of those bands were sort of bringing out the black metal potentials and tendencies in the Peaceville bands and maintaining, insisting on the death metal roots and also really just exaggerating and radicalizing everything and uh, almost getting rid of anything that directly related them to like doom metal proper. Mm-hmm. Uh, right yeah. so it's 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 a it's a massive obviously you know we have extremely high regard for those two bands and they belong as much to the history of black and death metal as to as to doom and stuff mm-hmm. um shape of despair i would argue what makes them good and what makes it reasonable to call them a funeral doom band rather than a gothic band right is that they do a similar kind of move to skepticism and thergathon but in a, with the different elements. So, you know how there's that element of very authentic 80s goth in the um, in the Peaceville stuff, mm-hmm. right? Which they those bands themselves water down into, uh, you know, mall goth rock. Mm-hmm. Um, Shape of Despair takes those goth elements and exaggerates those. And so what you end up with are really sparse, sprawling tracks that are focused on atmosphere and that are centered on keyboards, these drawn-out lyrical leads, like the most melancholy kind of expressive lead playing in the Peaceville bands, but way more drawn out, and ethereal vocals, uh, female and male. Um, and if you took out the chugs and growling, this would just be the most extreme dark wave band ever. Right, I recently finally got you to listen to Lycia. Yeah, yeah. So this would be like a more uh, 
a more lush and melodic, but equally kind of austere and bleak equivalent of something like Lycia. Yeah, Lycia, um, is, Lycia is weird because it's like, they are structurally metal songs, just but mm-hmm. without metal parts. It's very, it's very right. strange. <laughs> and, it's, and it's all drawn from the aspect of goth that is not rock, mm-hmm. right? So the Peaceville bands in the 90s, when they kind of arguably sell out, at least for a while... They're drawing on like the rock and goth rock, like yeah. Sisters of Stadium stuff, like Sisters of Mercy or the Cult or the Mission or something. Um, this is uh, much more rooted in like the goth as goth as post punk music, and in you know the the sort of the Joy Division and the uh, Dark Wave stuff, and all that, right? So, um, so yeah. Uh, and, but I think there's there's also, I'm generalizing slightly because uh, Shape of Despair has shifted between sounds a bit. And I think this new one is a return to their original sound. So on the YouTube comments, Dark Andy Music says, I personally think this album's way better than the previous. They return to the hooky melodies they were famous for in 2001 to 4. The atmosphere is as well very dismal and tragic when they, as when they started. Great album indeed. So I think the reason Monotony Fields, like, I liked Monotony Fields when I heard it, but I think the reason it was popular was, you know, back at that point, right, metal was becoming cool again, and it had to dissociate itself from stuff like goth and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So Monotony Fields was loud, crushing, and centered on rhythm guitar as well as the keyboard. So it was more like skepticism and just more like extreme metal. Um, yeah, so so basically, extreme metal people took more note of this return because it leaned into the most metal aspects of their sound. Y- yes, they liked Monotony Fields because it was very metal and very much like what they thought Funeral Doom should sound like. Gotcha. This is returning to the early 90s sound with, um, yeah, this is, this, so this is, this is going to be more like their earlier stuff, but, uh, Obviously evolved by years of songwriting growth and shifting aesthetics and production. So let's go to the first sample. This is um, Dissolution. This is the second track. Um, and uh, what I'm going to sample is a thing I don't usually sample, uh, which is the, the mid-track guitar dropout, right? Um, the sort of the space that opens up in the middle of the song. And... For a lot of bands, that's a, um, you know, that's not the that's not the central aspect of the song. It's a change-up, right, or a punctuation mark. Here, it's the center of gravity, and here's where the relationship to Dark Wave and 4AD and ethereal music and neoclassical should all become uh, very clear.
So what do you make of that? Uh, I like that a lot more than I anticipated. Because um, the, the, there's like a distinction. Yeah, this falls into basically the romantic funeral doom category, mm-hmm. but it's not the same because, it's well, it's not romantic. You know, it's yes. not, they're not songs about, like, a dead girlfriend. <laughs> right, know? loving a goth chick, right? You know, it's not like, it's not like fucking Mistress of the Dead or something like that. No, it's, a, it's it, it has that appreciably broad and inhuman quality of something mm-hmm. like Skepticism. Mm-hmm. Even if the melodies are a little bit sweeter than you would hear in Skepticism, mm-hmm. it's still, like, operating within similar territory and it still sounds like negative you know and it's like good like most of the romantic funeral doom doesn't actually sound negative it sounds like momentarily sad over something but in a yeah very it's like expressive way. and emotional and musically what it is is just gothic metal mm-hmm. right musically it's just kind of like um lacrimose melodic kind of doom mellow death guitars and like uh it's the worst interpretation of catatonia yeah it's like yeah for sure it's like poppy or whatever right this is um yeah if this has something in common with catatonia it's like the most stark parts of brave murder day but yeah you could hear i'm glad you could hear it it's like this is not um it is uh it's very cold Mm -hmm. um and it has that yes Rather than being sort of like, I mean, um, you know, skepticism is very, is inhuman and a sort of like, and, and, and mighty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we're talking nature or just like death. Um, and this is inhuman and sort of more gauzy and ethereal and it gets its power from space rather than density and sheer weight Mm -hmm. this does Um, actually evoke the sort of i I, maybe that's the crucial thing is like a good funeral doom should evoke the sense of being in an incredibly vast space mm -hmm. being very small in an incredibly vast space and this does that and should use that space to create musical ideas that would that maybe could be played at different tempos, but nobody would ever think of if they were played at those tempos. Mm-hmm. Um, also, also, this sounds like Scandinavian folk music melodically. Yeah, it, I think it does have some of that. Their first, their early stuff, I went back and checked, and it has a more explicit kind of skepticism, medievalism. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't really thought about that on this record. But that's a good point. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's um and yeah uh do, do you have anything else you want to say about this one i have one more segue point but no, I, yeah any, you go any ahead other thoughts of yours um so yeah like the thing i want to emphasize is using that space for a certain kind of composition um and at the beginning and end of this track dissolution number two we get the main theme of the record right uh it's a sort of a melody that structures the ones that follow and it's one of these uh, slowly unfolding legato leads, single string, high reverb, right? So both kind of in the tradition of the, you know, the gothic English melodies from Peaceville, but also stuff like Lycia, which is just this cold verbed out single string. Um, and, you know, you could hear that, and it has a certain mood, a mood of sort of bright desolation, brighter than the middle section of the song we heard kind of like that stuff we did in the hibern heard the mood we heard in the hibernoid mm-hmm. on this record um so there's that 
So it sets up this theme, but you know that's not. We didn't sample it uh, because we don't have enough time. Now we're going to go to Solitary Downfall, track three, and here's the first variation on that theme. It doesn't sound anything like it, right? The mood is totally distinct. The melodic shape is totally distinct. It's a much longer and more elaborate riff. Uh, you know, the harmonies are different, right? But the melodic method is the same. It's another one of these stepwise legato leads, and it's playing that same structural role in the music. You know, maybe theme isn't even quite the right word, but, uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, so here's Solitary Downfall. Here is just uh, some incredible guitar work that will, if you're not a big Dadkin Dance fan and, you're, and you have very long hair, will sell you on this record. Yeah, that's really good. I really appreciate the the distinct folk inflection. Yeah, this is the most like 
capital G gothic, like medieval riff on the record. This is awesome. Yeah, no, that's that's very good. Um, I like. Um, it's they they've got a really good idea for how to establish these very simple but very expressive melodies over a long period of time. Like they're really using the the pacing of Funeral Doom as an asset. Because um, when time gets dilated that intensely, very simple melodies that would seem almost gestural at a higher tempo are given a lot more significance at this kind of pace. Yeah. Yeah, well, the simple melody is the motif. Da, 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 right? Mm-hmm. But the actual melody is like, God, 32 notes long. <laughs> it's um, There's this fully developed unfolding phrase that runs through a bunch of really powerful, as you say, very authentically folky chord changes and variations, mm-hmm. but never hits a predictable chord change once. Yeah. Um, it's it's incredibly well done. And that that's an example of like, I mean, you know, nowadays black metal people who fetishize melody eat your fucking hearts out. This is a little one gash and you're listening to Terminus. And we are back with our final review of the night. What a journey it's been. And I realized that with the way we sequenced the records, we basically got more and more lifeless and kind of cold as we went on. Mm-hmm. And we are peaking with uh, the self-titled EP by Komood. Uh, this, uh, a listener turned us on to this project. This is a Thai, uh, fundamentally, it's a Thai torture doom project. Um Featuring uh, Paul Walk, who is possibly the most important person in the Thai metal scene and another collaborator. Um, so Komu has actually existed in some form since the early 2010s. But back then it was Paul Walk doing, I believe, sort of like droney, dark ambient ritual stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's been brought back but resurrected as basically a torture doom project. Uh, so this self-titled EP, oh, it's released on a non-self supremacy. We've covered a few of, uh, their records on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, this is a two track EP. That's about a half hour long. So, I mean, it basically works as an album, um, that is very deliberately cut from the torture doom cloth. Uh, the primary influences here sound like worm phlegm by default. Uh, Stabat Mater is a big one, especially in some of the more melodic touches. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably Planet Aids as well, because there's a, a big influence of sort of harsh uh, electronic music on this, big sheets of distortion. Um, it, it definitely presents itself in the kind of, in the way that a lot of the especially noisy Torture Doom stuff does. Um so it, I can't remember. I think you said at the beginning of the show, is this the record that you also listened to? Uh, yeah, I figured. I would, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So um, now that we, now that we have this like established uh, pedigree of discussing Torture Doom, how exactly. do you exactly? I was like, I'm going to check out the Torture Doom record. Yeah. So what do you think yeah. about the Torture Doom record? Because this one we've uh, we both listened to. Well, I mean, you're probably better qualified to give your all, your overall thoughts, but um, I liked it quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I think you have some questions about the ways it pulls in two directions, but kind of in a productive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, I have some ideas about what... I think we both have some ideas about which directions it could be taken. Um, uh, I, I don't think I have... Yeah, I don't think I've got any profound insights about this right now, except that I liked it a lot. Um, and I think the... Um, I, I think I think my t- it'll make more sense after we listen to the samples. I think basically, okay, yeah. but, but I, I like it a lot. I I like the first track better, but I think there's really good stuff in both of them. Uh, I I agree on both counts. I like this a lot. I prefer the first track. Um, <laughs> this is for those. I'm not gonna. We don't have the time for me to give the rundown of Torture Doom again. But um, something. If you're that, interested, check out Into the Tomb of Torture Doom, the yeah. four-hour Torture Doom special in which uh, the death metal guy <laughs> uh, gaslights and gatekeeps my way through the entire. <laughs> exactly. The only way we do it in, in the Torture Doom scene that doesn't exist. Um, but you said at one point uh, something to the effect, and I, I've seen other people say similar stuff about the style that a lot of Torture Doom sounds like raw black metal played very slowly. Um, and I would say that's especially accurate for Komode. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Like, this definitely leans heavily into the black metal direction, like, to the degree that there's um, sort of blast beat sections. But mm-hmm. it's interesting because at no point do those feel at odds with the, like, 40 BPM tempo of the rest of the music. It feels like a very natural part of it. Um so the let's blasting go. parts are awesome and not necessarily even the most black metal parts. It's like the slower stuff where you're like, oh, this is like slow down mutilation. Yeah, I think mutilation is a big part of this, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's listen to a chunk off the first track, uh, Degeneration of Mortal Sinew. And what's really cool about this is it seems like after having talked to more musicians from that scene in the wake of that Torture Doom episode... A cornerstone of Torture Doom is this kind of semi-improvisational uh, method mm-hmm. of playing where it's like you got you know what riffs are in the song. You've got an idea of how many times they're played, but you let a lot of shit just kind of happen while you're recording. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely hear that here where the band allows new riffs to congeal in a very strange way. Like mm-hmm. there's... It's like it's deliberately under-practiced so that some of the transitions are sort of crumbling and strange and disconcerting to the listener. You know, uh, Wilkins agrees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for first Wilkins shout of 2023, everybody. So, mm-hmm. all right, let's listen to uh, Degeneration of Mortal Sinew.
So is that is that last part even like a defined part of the song, or is it just like let's do something for a couple minutes? It's just like horrible squalling feedback with a couple chords to loosely tie it together at the end. The drums are kind of like feeling out the space, like where exactly this is gonna go. Um, uncertainty is not something you typically want in metal, but it really works here. Because uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the atmosphere of this music is uh, every torture doom band. That's a cool thing. Kind of has its own distinct atmosphere, and yeah. you know, Komoot is no different. But here, it's like it's apocalyptic in this very kind of sick way. It's like it's it's an apocalypse by plague. You know, it's it's people vomiting and dying in the streets and stuff, and yeah, that's that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's unpredictable in the way that like you're stuck in a basement with a guy crawling on all fours with a knife in his teeth, and you're not sure which way he's gonna go next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So, yeah. Um, but so highlights of that uh, that weird death metal trem riff in the middle that that's like the riff highlight of the album is mm-hmm. like that's just so fucking cool and weird it has that vaguely uh southeast asian quality but i heard that too mm-hmm. yeah it's just like interesting intervallic choices you wouldn't usually hear from like a european or american mm-hmm. band so you know the the regionality of this is kept mm-hmm. intact but other than that it just like it works within the framework kind of established by worm phlegm stop mater all these bands and i think that's really cool just to hear people getting back into this style i feel like the trem riff is also a cryptopsy riff yeah it could absolutely um, be a crypt they would well, play it you know twice as fast but yeah try well, uh, four, 50 times as fast yeah like very slowed down <laughs> cryptopsy um however um other things i want to highlight here uh so we don't it maybe becomes clearest when you hear there's a really good blasting section on this track just like amazing noise blasting um but this is clearest when that comes together with the slow stuff that it's at the beginning of this sample and at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, a big part of what the guitar is doing here, it's not just playing chords or the occasional leads or black metal, more or the leads, death metal or black metal sounding riffs. It's, um, it's that constant scrabbling, squalling, yeah, <laughs> um, that makes this just a sort of white noise wall over everything else, and um, uh, that is uh, that's a tetragrammaside thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think this band is a lot like tetragrammaside. I, I don't know them super well. I feel like now. Honestly, now that I listen to more shit like Torture Doom, I'd probably appreciate it more. But a Tetragrammaside is a super cool band. It just mm-hmm. has a very odd, very odd sound that was just ex- like so far out of its time. There still isn't anything like it, really, except for a small subgenre of war noise bands who just like try to do exactly that. But like the interesting thing about Tetragrammaside is at least the record I heard was mostly slow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's slow, sort of. Slow, crushing chugs just surrounded by this constant squalling, hornet-like halo of guitar. It's what they call, like, the worm sound. Mm-hmm. Um, this mix of heavy low-end and just sh- shrieking music-adjacent high-end. Uh, and I-, I hear that all over this, and especially when the most crushing, skronked-out parts collide with the blasting. Yeah, I I wonder if the methodology here was to have a guitar line 
just dedicated to making horrible scrabbling guitar noise which is pretty much all the time. Gr- which is a great idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, as far mm-hmm. as I know, these guys all have involvement in, like, harsh noise and power electronic mm-hmm. stuff. And that really comes through here with, with mm-hmm. some of the timbral stuff that's going on. Um, so let's listen to uh, part of the second track, uh, Praying for Serenity Under the Arms of Ash and Skies. Um, and I want to talk about some of the really distinct features of this band that help, I was going to say, separate them from the pack. But there is no pack in Torture Doom. There never was. <laughs> but, uh, so one I want to point out, there's some really cool, like, languid lead melodies across this record that are very much in the vein of, like, newer Stabat Mater and also kind of bounce back to old skronky mutilation. And uh, here is where you're going to hear one of the really cool blasting sections. Um, And then I'll talk about sort of structurally where I see this band going and what the opportunities to expand on are. So a lot of cool stuff happens there. Uh, first off is going to be that that weird glassy lead melody is mm-hmm. really cool. That's another highlight of the album for me. Yeah, that is a gorgeous melody. Um, the ways that after a couple reps, they always just like 
do this like chonky slow grind part at the end of the phrase. Mm-hmm. Just like noise fuck it and then go back in. Really cool and definitely relates to what you were saying about the way that riffs sort of coalesce and ebb and flow in this improvised way. Yeah, that's very Stop um, Matter or even some yeah. of like Miko's weirder mm-hmm. Doom projects like AM yeah. would do stuff like that. And yeah, the melody itself is both very like the most lyrical parts of that last Stop Matter record and a lot like for sure Mutilation or something. And the melody develops. It's really soulfully played. Very inflected way, I, almost in a way that kind of goes well with that massive melody we just heard off the shape of despair. Mm-hmm. It's even though it's in this hideous torture doom context, it's played with that um, deep inflection and careful pacing and uh, variation over time that made that other riff so good. So it's just yeah, yeah phenomenal lead work there. Yeah, and uh, I really like the way that after bouncing out of that sort of you know. Uh, contemplative arpeggiated riff they move into the mutilation style black metal riffs and then start reincorporating that contemplative melody back into the uh, the back end of the black metal riff um mm-hmm. and that's where we get into kind of one of my big questions which is about structure um i yep. think this is a really cool ep and i really hope this is a project that like keeps putting stuff out and developing from here but i feel like it's kind of getting pulled in two directions right now which is one, the highly noisy sort of semi-improvisational stuff, and then the more tightly structured uh, sort of like deliberate stuff that you're especially hearing on this second sample. And my question is, how exactly do these guys go about squaring the circle so that they can maintain both of those aspects, or are they going to reach a point where inevitably they have to choose one or the other? Well, I think what strikes me about this is um, have more of a sense of the functional specificity of each part of the sound. So, um, for to me, it seems like the weakest part of the record. So the first track is um, much shorter than the second. The first track is eleven thirty-eight. The second one seventeen twenty-six. Mm-hmm. Right, and before we get into that elegiac melody that starts the sample this last sample on the second track there's um there's a lot of void Mm -hmm. um and although like this kind of void in a torture doom song because it's improv improvised and noisy and there's always sort of shit kind of going on is much more interesting than the arty black metal void even so uh I don't know that the song would lose any carefully paced slow majesty by cutting most or all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are similar, the, the first track is a lot tighter, but there are one or two moments like that on her. And I'm wondering if what you do is you, I think one thing that makes this very cool is the unexpected musical density of it. Kind of in the same way that Worm Phlegm, like it's very slow, but it just really functions as riffy heavy metal, mm-hmm. right? Um, this, this band, I think is whether it's, whether it's more chaotic or more structured, I think this band functions best when there's a lot going on at at this, at this weird tempo. And so I think, um, you want some, you want a specific function for the slowest parts. And I think the function should be letting those melodic leads ring out. Like, having moments that really sound like funeral doom or like, like, you know, tranquilized black metal. 
And then there are other moments like the upper mid-tempo stuff, relatively speaking, that started the first sample, those kinds of like crunching breakdown riffs. Mm -hmm. Um, That and the blast sections, right? Use those more for the extremely abrasive total noise stuff. And I think if you did something like that, that would be a, a... a simple basic conceit and then of course you could mix and match between those parts and you wouldn't have to lean so heavily on just the really sprawling ambient drone stuff which is reasonably well done but just i don't think is the main draw here yeah there's in this style in this sort of torture doom style i think there's always been kind of a push and pull between the stuff that is more like heavy metal and the stuff that is more like no- noise music in that it's more concentrated on sort of timbre and texture than it is structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if these guys can successfully thread the needle and fuse those, mm-hmm. or I guess even continue to fuse those, if we can, if we can establish that this is not sort of an isolated lightning in the bottle thing with those things working so well together, um, I think that would be really cool. Yeah. <laughs>